All right, so we're going to be in Matthew 5 today, uh, verses 13 through 16. I should probably turn to the right chapter if I'm going to read it. So, all right, there we go. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to the whole house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So this is just part of the Sermon on the Mount. If you look, starting in chapter 5, verse 1, it says Jesus Jesus starts, and he starts to preach the Sermon on the Mount. This whole... uh, Sermon goes on for two chapters. Well, actually three, excuse me. Um, So um, just be glad that I'm not preaching that long. Um, But I was reading this, and I've been, I have the audio Bible, so I I use the ESV for normal reading, and I also have it on audio Bible. So a lot of times if I'm reading, I'll kick that on so I can listen while I'm reading. It's just something about me likes to be able to hear it while I'm reading. It makes, makes more sense to me like that, but I'm reading this, uh, I'm listening to the Sermon on the Mount this week. I'm listening through five, verses 5 through, or excuse me, chapters 5, verses uh, 1 through whatever. I think it's 20, 26. I'm just reading this and listening to this this week, and I'm just like, okay. And, and I know it's my week to preach. I'm like, God, what do you really want? What, where are you leading me? What do you want me to, to teach on? And I'm just like, you know, it's hard to teach after Jesus has already taught. So, you know, it's like, you know, it's what, what more can I say on this? But he started to just kind of lay things out and made, made me start to look at these few scriptures here. And it says the salt of the earth. And, you know, I was really like, okay, why, why would you say the salt of the earth? We, we think of salt and it's like, I was going to do this little experiment, but I decided not to today. I was going to put all of the sugar that we would have here and replace it with salt for you guys' coffee, but I figured I'd probably run out on a rail, um, and you guys would not be happy that your coffee was, like, super salty. Um, and I, it look, I started to think, I said, why, why would Jesus say you were the salt of the earth? Why would he be like, you're the salt of the earth? <coughs> Excuse me. And so I started to do a little research. I'm like, so Jesus is talking about salt of the earth, and it doesn't make sense. If you really think about it, it doesn't make sense. Um, but it says this, salt was used for food in Job 6, mixed with fodder for cattle in Isaiah 30. It was uh, all meat offerings, all meat sacrifices to God were covered in salt before they were burnt offerings in the Old Testament. To eat salt with one is to partake in hospitality. Ezra 4 says we, were, we have a maintenance of the king's, it was in maintenance of the king's palace. It was used for maintenance. Excuse me, sorry. <coughs> sorry, I have a little bit of a cough going on today, but it'll be good. So they used it as maintenance in the king's palace. We eat salt, they eat the salt of the palace. So salt was considered almost um, a precious commodity. They would sell it, they would buy it. If you really think about it, now we're just like, you'll go to the store, you buy, you know, um, your regular ionized salt, or you buy your sea salt, or you buy your pink Himalayan salt, whatever fancy salt you like. But in numbers, it was considered part of a covenant. 
It was part of a covenant that God had with his people. Newborn children were actually rubbed with salt after they were born. I don't get it, don't understand it, but that's what happened. And it actually says that in the Bible, um, in Numbers. Disciples were likened to salt in the New Testament. That's what Jesus was saying. And so we look at salt and it's, it's highly valuable. God, God didn't look at it and say, this salt is more valuable than in other things, but it was something in their culture that was of high value that they needed to, that was part of what they did, whether it was sacrifices, whether it was part of, of their food, whether it was part of newborn babies. Don't, I don't even understand that, but it was, it was so valuable that people had to have it. They would, you would go to the market and you would buy salt in bulk. You would buy rock salt. You would buy, whatever, however they sold it, you would buy it. And if you think about that today, you know, we, for us now, it's just money. What do we have? We, we, we buy and sell, we have money. And, but back then, they would trade goods for goods. But salt was so precious that it was, it was almost um, considered money. And in some cultures in, in the Middle East, it was, it was a, a form of currency. If you had salt, you were wealthy. Now, if you have salt, it's like, I have high cholesterol. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but um, but it, was, it, was so, it was so valuable that Jesus refers back to it. And his disciples probably didn't really, un- they understood it to a certain point, but he, they didn't really understand all of it. But salt provide, if you guys have ever had too much salt on something, <laughs> uh, I think it was a couple weeks ago, some, uh, I poured too much salt on mashed potatoes and... They were, it was just like eating, it was just gritty. It was so bad. It was, and you, I'm just like throwing extra butter on there. I'm like, nope, that's not working. Throw a little extra pepper. It did not work. Salt was so, is so strong and so um, powerful that it will overpower. You can take a little bit of salt and it will overpower a large amount of food. It will overpower a large um, or a, a cup of coffee. You pour your salt in a cup of coffee. One of these days, guys, I'm going to get you. Um, you don't know when, you don't know how, but I'm going to get you. Um, but it will overpower what it is in. Too much of it will overpower what it is in. So reading this scripture, you're the salt of the earth. Salt gives flavor, though. You put a little bit of salt in, you know, or put a little bit of salt in mashed potatoes, not a lot of salt, it makes it really good. You take salt and you rub uh, uh, meat with salt and then you cook it it adds flavor to it you take pork and you would preserve it in salt it gives it flavor it adds to what is already there it doesn't take precedence over but it adds to what it is so jesus says you are the salt of the earth salt if we're salt it gives flavor to the kingdom of god it gives flavor to Christianity. It gives us something that is flavorful for other people. So if you, if you think about it, Jesus is saying this to his disciples. He's just not like, well, you know, you're the salt of the earth, and then he just moves on. They understood what the value of salt was. So salt for them was, okay, yeah, that's, that's a precious commodity. So Jesus is saying, you, have, you are valuable to the kingdom of God, and what is happening is this, is 
because you are salt, you're adding a flavor that to the kingdom of God, to your life that draws people to the kingdom of God, that draws people to salvation, that draws people to Christ and draws them to the Father. So we look at that and salt is how we represent God. If we're, if we're the salt of the earth, that's how, how are you representing God? How are you, draw, how are you adding to the kingdom? The kingdom already has, if we refer to the kingdom this way, already has a flavor, already has a certain um, atmosphere about it. But as we bring people into the kingdom, as we become part of the kingdom, we add to the kingdom of God. We add to the kingdom of God. So it becomes sweeter and it becomes uh, more enjoyable. And so what pe- people do is they look and go, how are you a Christian why are you a Christian, and why do you do this? But they see our joy, they see our love, see a kindness, they see our peace. And what it does is it adds flavor, and people are like, you, you have this, and it's adding to your life. It's adding to the kingdom. So our lives bring out the, fl- the flavor, bring out the goodness of God so other people can taste And so we look at salt and salt draws out a good, the good flavors that are subtly hidden. So you ever eaten, you could take two pieces of, of steak or whatever, put one with no salt on it, cook it, put the other one with salt on it and cook it. And the flavor of that on it, it, it draws out. So what, what, we're, what our job is, if we're the salty, our job is to draw out the kingdom. It's to draw out the kingdom so people can taste and see that God is good. Our, our job is to draw out the, the goodness of God, the, the kindness of God into our lives so people can see. Because the only representation of Jesus on this earth is us. If he is living in us, we represent him on earth. We have to show his kindness, his love, his love towards people. We don't, just give away, we don't just collect food and hand it out just for the fun of it. We do it because we love people, and we see that there's needs for people. So what happens is we're the salt of the earth. We draw out the generosity of God. We draw out the kindness of God. So salt, salt draws out that flavor. It draws out what is hidden in there. Without us, without our lives, drawing out the, the, the goodness of God and the kindness of God out of the king, into people's lives, showing people what it is, how are they going to see it? They're not. They're just going to, you, you have people that, I've talked to people and they struggle with understanding that God loves them and God is good and he wants good things for them. And they're like, how, how, do, how do you know God wants good things for me? And I'm, and you have to, sometimes you have to draw into, look into scripture and draw it out and say, you know what, this is what it is. This is who God is. Because you can look at the Old Testament and say, well, man, that guy really destroyed a lot of people. And they, they, you can get a, a, a one-sided view of God. You can get a one-sided view of God and who he is by only reading the Old Testament. But if you read the Old Testament and you read the New Testament combined, and you look at Jesus when he says, I have come to proclaim good news to the poor. To those who are lost. 
Jesus refers back to the Old Testament, says, this is what I'm fulfilling. So we look at the Old Testament, we look at the New Testament, and you look at both of those together in context, and you can see the goodness of God and the kindness of God. Yes, it looks like some wrath and judgment, but then you read the New Testament, and it looks like loving kindness. And it looks like he cared for the poor, and he healed the sick, and he raised people from the dead. Because when Jesus said, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. When you've seen what I've done, you've seen the Father. So he tells his disciples, hey, you're salt. He's, refer- he's talking to us, too. you're salt. Draw out the goodness of the kingdom in your lives so people can taste and see that God is good. And sometimes I think we, we spend a lot of time looking at, God, how do you work in me? And, and first of all, God don't wants to work in you first so he can work through you. But so many times we're like, God, I need this, and God, I need this. And he's like, I haven't created you to be internally focused. I've created you to be externally focused. And as a church, we have to look at it and say, okay, if I'm internally focused, what happens? I get comfortable. I have the same seat every week. I, uh, I, I know everybody. I talk to everybody. But the salt of the earth draws out. So if we're the salt of the earth, what happens is, I worked for um, a place called Floor Dry um, a long time ago, really long time ago. This is before my kids were even born. Yeah. And so th- we created, um, it's called Floor Dry, but what we would do is we, there was four or five different things. The, the, you know the, the salt that you lay down? It's not salt. What is it? Calcium chloride, I think, that you, you sprinkle down and it melts ice. It's ice melt. This stuff, you could take a dry piece of cement and you could take a handful and set it on the ground and a half hour later, you would see moisture sitting there. It, it would draw out the moisture out of the ground through the, into the, from the cement out of the cement. And so what would happen is, is we would just do little tests. We'd set one, one tablet there. We'd set a handful. We would see. But it, it made me start to think. This was drawing out what was inside of the cement. Everybody's like, oh, the cement dried. Cement is so porous, it always has moisture in it. It will always soak up moisture. And so Jesus is like, I've sprinkled you on the earth to draw out the goodness of God so people on the earth can see it. And so when you put salt on something, it will draw out. This, this product that was, would draw out the moisture of where, what it was sitting on. It could take moisture out of something, and it could draw moisture up from something. And so we look and, and it says salt is used to draw flavor out. It is used to draw moisture out. And so for us, it's, we're sprinkled through earth. Christians are followers of God, are, are sprinkled through earth to draw out the kingdom of God, to show people that, that God loves them. But then he goes on to say, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? So, You ever eaten, uh, as a kid, ever eaten the rock salt from the bag? I know everybody has. Everybody has. You can, you can say, oh, no, I never did that. Everybody has. Everybody's tasted a piece of rock salt from, from the bag. And I was thinking about this. If salt loses its flavor, how does salt lose its flavor? Because rock salt, if you take a handful of rock salt and eat it, it's, it's going to be salty. But I was thinking about this. Rock salt rarely it still has flavor, but we throw it on the ground. So I'm like, that doesn't make sense, God. He's like, well, duh. And I'm, I'm having this little conversation with him, and, and I'm, I'm uh, 
And so I was thinking about this. If salt has lost its taste, how shall the saltiness be restored? And I was thinking about this. Too much salt will overpower something, but too much of the world will overpower a Christian. So my thought was is this, is you got this bag of salt and you've got ice. You don't throw, take one little piece and go, yep, tastes like salt, and then you throw it out there. You don't, you don't just throw one little piece out there. You throw, take a scoop or you take a cup of it and you throw it out and it, and it draws, um, it heats up and, and dissipates the, the water or the ice and makes it just water. And, but, so salt is very potent. But I think Jesus is speaking to us separately. So as a church, salt is very potent. We can accomplish a lot with a cup of salt. But Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and I think, believe he's speaking to them individually and us individually, saying, you're salt, but don't be overpowered by everything else. Because think about this. If you take, you're like, okay, my wife makes chicken noodle soup, and you add salt, a little bit of salt to it. But here's the thing is, if you're going to, you've got, two gallons of soup or how many gallons that big old pot of soup makes and you take, just take a little pinch of salt. I mean, just like find a couple grains of salt and you put them on your finger and you say, okay, there we go. There's salt added to it. You could take one little grain of salt and say, oh, we've added salt to it. But you won't taste it. It won't draw out its flavor because it's become overpowered by the other flavors. So what's happened is, is this, is we're called to be a small piece of salt or a small amount of salt to draw out the flavor. But God's saying to, the, uh, Jesus is saying to them, don't be such a small grain of salt that the world overpowers you. That you're, you lose your saltiness. That you become so ingrained and in, in so overcome with the world. Because Jesus, what did he say? Don't fear because I have overcome the world. That our saltiness doesn't do anything. That, that us being filled with the Spirit and going to bring the flavor out that we, our lives become so ingrained into the world that we lose our saltiness. Because here's the thing is you don't go to the, the store and buy water softener salt. We got this big water softener and I, I, I cut the bags open and you, you pour it in there and you can take like four or five bags and put it in there. You don't go to the store and say, you know what? I'm going to buy rock salt. I'm going to take a, a little tablespoon of it and pour it into my soup. But you don't take table salt and go out and go like this over the sidewalk. You, how many of you guys, you know, that there's been a couple points in your life like, I don't have any rock salt. You, pour, you take the little, you pour the pour time and you're like, hopefully that'll work for now. <laughs> Somebody's done it, I know. Desperation, yes, desperation. But if you think about it, he's saying if you pour yourself out and the world, over, and the world is so strong that you've allowed it to be that way. The, the rock salt is meant to be scattered and to draw out heat up and melt ice. think what God is saying is, is don't be so into the world systems, into the world belief systems, into the way the world operates that, 
that tablespoon of salt, which is supposed to add flavor to the big thing of soup, doesn't have any flavor. It just becomes overwhelmed. And then the salt's like, okay, we added salt, but there was nothing to it because you've become overpowered and overwhelmed and oversaturated by the thought patterns of this world. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If we're not transformed, the salt we put into the world is just going to get overrun, overpowered, and we're going to be like, it's not even good to be thrown out. Jesus said it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Salt, if, we, if our lives are, are in, in servitude to Christ, our lives will represent him. Our lives will show of his goodness. Our lives will show of his kindness, his, our show of his generosity. Our lives will show that God wants to take care of us. He wants to heal us and he wants to be with us and, and, and live with us. Jesus wouldn't have left us if he didn't know that there was something better for us. I mean, I look at the disciples and they're like, oh yeah, we're the salt of the earth and Jesus is here and we're going we're gonna to take over and then Jesus dies and then he's resurrected and he comes back to them and they're like, oh, we're going to start again and here, we're going to keep going. And Jesus is like, oh, hey, by the way, I'm going to leave you. I can't imagine the thought they're going through. Jesus dies they're like, oh, we're, we're done. We just gotta, they, they're all leaving the city. They're going to different cities. And Jesus shows back up. And they're like, yes, we're going to do this. And then he's like, I'm going to leave you. He's like, really, again? <laughs> and, and, but Jesus knows. Here's the thing is, Jesus is God, but he was man too. And he couldn't be with us. He couldn't be with his disciples everywhere they went. For him, he had to go back to the Father and send his Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is what empowered us. Jesus empowered his, his disciples that he was around, but the Holy Spirit is everywhere. The Holy Spirit empowered us, empowers everyone to live a life that is in submission to God. So Jesus, and they're like, we're the salt of the earth. We're going to go over, and we're just, we're going to go over and, and take over the world. And Jesus is like, oh, by the way, I'm leaving you, and I'm going to send you someone better. Someone who will give you power someone who who will give you the ability to be salt in the earth, to represent the kingdom of God, to show the kingdom of God to people who do not understand the kingdom of God. But then he goes on to say, he says, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. But they put it on a stand and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So, Jesus says to them, you're the light of the world. And that's true. But, in John 8:12 he says this he says when Jesus spoke to the people he said i am the light of the world whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life 
Okay, so kind of makes sense. Doesn't make sense. So Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, but he says, you're the light of the world. We have to also think of this in the context of where Jesus is going, how he, what he's doing, and what plans he knows are going to be in place. So Jesus says, you're the light of the world. But he also said, I'm the light of the world. But being the light of the world comes from him living inside of us. Jesus knew that they, he said, you're the light of the world because he knew the plans that he had were going to be to die, be buried, resurrect, and then send the Holy Spirit to fill them so they could be the light of the world. So, light, if you look at this scripture, the light is expressing the kingdom of God. How do we express the kingdom of God? How do we show the kingdom of God in a way that draws people to them? Or draws people to it, excuse me. So, we had a bunch of boys at the house, and they were messing with this flashlight. And um, one of them took the flashlight, and he looked like, he took it, looked like that, and kicked the light on, and um, blinded himself with it. It's like a, you know, 300 lumen LED flashlight, and at like point-blank range, he's just like, boom, turns it on. I'm like, okay. And so, he does it. And then the rest of them start doing it, you know, and then they're doing it to each other. And, and I'm just like, you guys are, you know, like, we don't need our vision. It's okay. We're just, um, but I, I started to, it's kind of just, it, it, it was funny this morning because I'm thinking I'm talking about this and they're blinding themselves with this light. But that light, here's the thing is that light was only bright at this, like at a short distance. And, but that light wasn't meant for the afternoon. It wasn't meant for the morning. It was meant for darkness. It was meant for night. It was meant for times where you cannot see. You look at Michigan, we have hundreds of lighthouses in the Great, not Michigan, but the Great Lakes area. We have like a hundred plus lighthouses in this. Why? It's because people needed to see in the dark. And so Jesus says, you're the light of the world because you're going to draw people to yourself. You're going to guide people away from the dangerous areas. You're going to draw people to the city on a hill. Light makes dark things revealed. You take that flashlight in the dark, I can stand on my front porch and I can see all the way to my neighbor's swamp by, by shining that light. Last night I'm out there looking and I look over to the side field and there's a bunch of deer eating in the side field. I'm like, oh, that's why the dogs are barking. But here's the thing is, I could not see that if it wasn't for a flashlight. If it wasn't for that light to reveal what was out there. That light reveals the things in the darkness that need to be revealed. It draws people to them. If you're out stumbling around and you can't find your way home, you're going to look for light in the middle of the night. You're like, where's the light? I need to go find the house or wherever. It's like when I walk out to the garage at night, I turn the light on in the house and then I go out to the garage and I'm fumbling around, you know, trying to find the light because I don't know where it is. But if I take a light with me, I can shine it and say, oh, there it is. This is what I need. This is what's going to give me more guidance. This is where I'm going to be able to see. And I flip that switch on. And that's the thing is, his, the, the light of Christ is not just to 
say, hey, here I am. It's to reveal the things in our lives that need to change. It's the thing, it's to reveal the, the light that is in, in us is supposed to shine so other people can see it. And they will see our good works and they will see that God loves them and that they will be able to be drawn to a place, be drawn out of the darkness into light. That light is there to, so people will follow it. Shine your light so people will see. So if you think about, okay, I've got my light, this flashlight. It's not a very big fa- flashlight. It's, you know, just a, but, and it was like 20 bucks or whatever. I don't even remember. But if you think about it, when I was a kid, you had these flashlights. And they were like this cr- plastic with like this fake chrome plating on it. And they had a big red switch and a red top and, a pl- and this bulb in it. That if you dropped your flashlight once, you were done. So if you were out in the woods, I remember as a kid, we'd have those, or those big yellow flashlights with the weird square, like, battery. And if you drop those, you're out of luck because that bulb instantly was gone. You were walking through the light, and you smack your flashlight on something, or you drop it, and you're like, oh, great. Bulb's gone, nothing. But then they came out with mag lights. And you could smack things with them. And, and I was like, as a kid, I was like, this is great. But think about this. Our light is meant to shine continuously through the bumps, through the trips, through the, 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 the things of life that are going to cause us to stumble. They may cause us to fall. They may, we may have to pick ourselves back up. But our light is there to be continuously shining. And, and sometimes I think in our lives we, we, we're carrying that old light and we're like, this is how I'm going to walk through life. And we stumble once and we're like, where am I at now? But people are, that are in darkness need to see a great light. They need to be drawn to Jesus, be drawn to his kingdom, because there is something better on that city on a hill than there is stumbling alone in the darkness. Some people will look for a light source and go, where is that? I need to go find out what that is. A couple years ago, we're standing, out, we're standing out in our yard, and Jordan and I are looking at this light, and we're way out in the distance, and we're just like, is it a UFO? You know, we're just, we're just joking around. We're like, him and I are just staring at it. I don't remember what it was. We're just staring at it for like 20 minutes, and our wives are just like, and it was a helicopter. We just saw the light. It was a, probably a Coast Guard helicopter or, or life flight helicopter. And we're just staring at it like, what is that moving across the sky? And we're just like, we're staring at it. Yeah, yeah. So we're just like, we're just looking at it. But think about it. Miles away, we saw that light and we were drawn to it. What is that? Why is it there? What, where is it going? And, and, when you think about that, our lives are sometimes like a lighthouse for people to be drawn to Christ. Our lives are there so people will come to him. It's not about us. It's about us shining his light to them so they can see him, see who he is, see, of his, see um, him in his goodness and his loving kindness towards us. Psalm 56, 13 says, For you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, 
and I have walked before God in the light of life. All things hidden will be revealed. Here's the thing is you walk outside. I remember this was nine years ago, somewhere in that area. I'm walking out to take the trash out. It's about midnight. And I don't have a flashlight, just a porch light. And I'm just like, I'm going to take my trash out. Oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. I had a little flashlight. And I'm like, I'm just going to take the trash. I got the bag of trash and I'm walking down. I walk past Sarah's car. I walk to my car and I see little eyes come out from behind the car and look at me. And I'm like, oh, crap. And I just throw the bag at, at, the, um, at the car and run back inside because I don't know what it is. I mean, <laughs> yeah, we've, I've seen bear. I've seen cougar. And we've got coyotes. I'm like, I don't know what it is. I'm just getting out of here. And I'm, I'm scared out of my mind. I'm like, I'm not going to even try figuring out what this is. I'm about ready to go get the gun. And, and then I just like, I'm like, okay, I'm going to bed. <laughs> the bag of trash is just kind of sitting out there. I'm like, I'll take care of him in the morning. I get up the next morning, and there's our dog. It's not our dog. It was just a dog, but now it's our dog. It was, you know. <laughs> It was a dog, and now it's our dog. Um, <laughs> that dog was slept under the car all night, and it never left. But I was thinking about, thinking about this. It was drawn to a place that was safe. Our, light, our porch light was on. It was drawn to a place that was safe. It was drawn to a place that it could have shelter you know, yes, it was under the car, and it kind of dug a hole. She dug a hole under the car, under the car to, to sleep there at night, but she was looking for a safe place. And, I, and I, sometimes I, I think people are looking for light because they need a safe place. Yeah. They need something to draw them out of darkness, to, to, to bring them out of the chaos of their life, to bring them out of the, the tragedy, the disappointment of life, and draw them into light and say, you know what? You were once in darkness— now you get to experience who God is. Now you get to experience who Christ is. And it's going to lead people and help release them from bondage. When they meet Jesus Christ, it's a different story than what they were before. Yeah. If you think about our lives before we met Jesus, think about, I'm thinking about it right now. Um, <laughs> think about who you were before you had an, a life-changing experience with Jesus Christ. I don't ever want to go back to that. I don't, want, I don't want to live that life. Light leads people to kingdom, the king and to the kingdom and freedom from chains, freedom from their past. I love how it says in Psalms, it says that I may walk before God in the light of life. There is something about light you ever leave your porch light on in the middle of summer, you get swarms of bugs. But there's something about the light of life that draws people in there because there's that phrase that your parents probably told you, nothing good happens after it's dark or after the, you know, when you're kids, yeah. And so think about this, but that, the light of life, it's not, just, it's not just a light, it's the light of life. It's, it's about the, the life that we have, the life that we can experience in him in Jesus Christ. Matthew four sixteen. Jesus says this even before he says you're the light of the world. He says the people living in darkness have seen a great light, and those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. It's like 
for those living in the shadow of death, the light has dawned and they will be drawn to it. They will be pulled, uh, they will be attracted to that. It's weird how grown men can look up at the sky at a light for 20 minutes and go, I wonder what that is, and not get on with their life. An hour, yes, okay, it was an hour. I was being, I was was trying to be nice. Um, But think about this. If people are drawn to a light in the sky, go, what is that? How much more can they be attracted to people who live in the light of life of Jesus Christ? That are going through tragedy, they're going through struggles. Those people need that. They need to see a great light dawning in the shadow of death. The light will draw them to Christ. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. When we follow him, the light of life is in us. When we are born again, the light of life is in us. We surrender our lives. We were talking, one of these songs says, I'm going to surrender. When we surrender our lives to him, he says, you know what? I'm going to create a new person. I'm going to fill fill your life with my light. And then you will be the light of the world. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. You're the light of the world. His spirit living in us is what people will be drawn to. The Holy Spirit is like a a lighthouse that is like beckoning people to say, hey, what is going on? It's that city on a hill. You you put that. When he he says the city on a hill, I always think of like the old, um, like, Movies like with Vikings or, or knights or something like that, and they light that giant fire up on the hill so everybody can see it. And it was a signal, it was a signal for people to say, hey, something's going on. And I think about, uh, as the church and as Christians, our lives and how we're stewarding that light should be like that, that big, that beacon on that hill saying, something is there, and people be drawn to it. Yeah. Not, well, you know, I've got to go to church again this week. I got to go sing those songs. I got to go read that Bible. I got to go listen to Matt and Sarah ramble on every now and then. No, it should be like I get to be read. I get to throw more wood on the fire so people can see the light. So they can see that light from a distance and be like, I need that. I need to go to that. I'm wondering about that. I want to see what is there. Our lives have to be a representation of Jesus Christ. How we walk, how we talk, what we say in public and in private. That's a tough one sometimes. There's things you want to say in the car while you're driving that you can't say in public, and you're just like, if I could say that, I would. And you're just like, but our lives have to be consistent. If you're looking for something in the dark, you don't go take your flashlight out, click it once, click it again, and then, oh, it's off. Okay, I'm good to go now. No, you use the light because it guides you where you need to go. For us to be light, we have to follow the light of the world to be the light of the world. So when Jesus says, the people in darkness, living in darkness, have seen a great light, that is Jesus Christ. That is him shining through you that is him living in you the light will draw them to christ let's pray